Hi everyone, welcome to Faith Community Church. We're so glad that you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn more about our church, you can check us out at woodstockfcc.com. That's woodstockfccfaithcommunitychurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Good morning, church family. Thank you, worship team, for leading us and taking this place and bringing us into the, ushering us into the presence of God. And we know God is here before us, but sometimes we need to have a change of pace, a change of space. That's why we come to church. That's why we do things a little different. Maybe from our normal week, we spend time focusing uh, through song, even as we read in the Psalms. Often it's talked about that's one of the best way to enter God's presence, to sing praise and give him adoration. We're so grateful that you guys could lead us into that through your participation. Thank you for that. I'm so glad that we can all be here in church today. Uh, I was thinking this week that if we were all, if I asked you all, I won't. This isn't the test. Everyone take a big sigh of relief. I'm not going to ask you to give answers, but I'm going to throw some hypotheticals at you. I I was thinking, though, if we all collectively uh, or individually had to make a list of biblical heroes— we would all have some different names on the list, I imagine. Some of us relate more to other biblical characters and so on. But I imagine if we did this, there's one person other than Jesus. Okay, I know Jesus is the Sunday school correct answer, and it is the correct answer, by the way. But I think there's a person that would definitely make all of our lists, and I bet you it would be pretty near the top of all of our list, and that is Moses. Now, to say Moses is an important biblical character is a massive understatement, Uh, especially, you know, he's important to us now, but to the Jews at that time, Moses was the hero of heroes. You have to understand this. He, He was the one they were telling kids bedtime stories about. Moses was an incredibly important person. And it's not hard to see why, right? If you read the beginning of the Bible, you read about his incredible life and ministry, uh, particularly the first five books of the Torah, that is called, or even Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, and Deuteronomy. You'll, you'll see that Moses is practically the most prominent character all throughout. And Moses, even now, how many thousands of years later, still holds a place of importance. And I can prove this to you by another test, which is not a real test. Everyone take a sigh of relief. I bet you if I said, okay, we're going to talk about Moses, and what I want you to do is write down everything you know about him, I bet you even would be surprised at how much you could write about him. You would come up with a surprising list. You you probably know a lot more about Moses than you think. When I'm asking this right now, you're you're panicking a little, saying, I don't know much about him. He was in a basket, I guess, right? And that's maybe where you're stopping. But I guarantee you, if I gave you the time and effort and the pens and pencils, which I'm not, everyone calm down, I guarantee you, you would be surprised with how much you know. And the reason you would be able to write so much is because he's so important. His life is so significant. Uh, He's a person of great significance. I'll I'll do the test for you. I'll give you some, and I'm cheating a little because I have it written down in front of me. But I'll give you some of the important moments of his life, and I bet you you're going to nod and you're saying, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. So this is just some, not all. Moses was miraculously saved as a baby from a tyrant king who wanted to kill him because he was afraid of losing power. Uh, and so, of course, we know the story. Moses' mom put him in a basket, sent him floating down the Nile, and he is miraculously saved from all the dangers of being in a basket on a river until he's found by Pharaoh's daughter, brought in. And even more miraculous, his mom gets to come be the wet nurse and help raise him. And how cool is that, right? And he goes, he gets raised in Egypt. He's raised as Pharaoh's son. He has a place of prominence and power until some stuff happens. And eventually he starts learning more about his real history and his real, um, I can't think of the word, genealogy. It's not the right word. 
his ancestry. That's the word. It was close. I knew I'd get there. He starts learning more about his ancestry, his people, where he came from, and he actually leaves Egypt, and he goes off, and he eventually ends up as a shepherd, and he's raising sheep with some other people who are helping him learn more about who he was, where he came from, and as he's a shepherd for all these years, for many years, he encounters God in a miraculous, mysterious, strange way in the burning bush, where he is then commissioned to go back into Egypt to speak to Pharaoh and the Israelites on behalf of God. And in that time, he performed many miracles and signs. You know some of them. Uh, it eventually led the Israelites out of slavery. Literally, this is the biggest miracle he did, leading them across the Red Sea on dry ground. Moses was in the very presence of God and lived to tell the story about it. He was given from God the Ten Commandments, the very law of God he was entrusted with to bring to the people. Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 plus some odd years. Moses uh, was trusted as the judge and he ruled over them to ensure this law of God was upheld. He would settle disputes between the people. He actually commissioned and started the priests from the clan of Levi. And despite Israel's disobedience in that generation not being able to go to the promised land, and despite his own disobedience, frankly, Moses was a person of such great significance and a great servant of God that he, he was uh, afforded the luxury to go up on a hill before he died and see the promised land. This is not all. This is just a, a quick summary that I can come up with. We know a lot. I bet you, you know lots of those things. This is an incredible person of incredible significance. He did a lot of everything. He was kind of a jack-of-all-trades leader. He held many different positions and titles through his life. He wore many hats as he did all of this. You can see he was a prophet. He spoke on behalf of God to others. He was a wonder worker, a miracle worker. He performed miracles through God's power. He was a mediator. He was an intercessor. He spoke on behalf of the people to God. He, he, he was a lawgiver and a judge. Moses brought the law of God, including, of course, climaxing with the Ten Commandments, and he acted as a judge to ensure they were followed. He was a military strategist. He led Israelites through battles and wars. He, 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 he was a national leader. <clears throat> we might say he was a prime minister or, or a president of a, a ruling bunch of people for not four-year term, not an eight-year double term, but 40-plus years he led these people. Uh, he's an author. He's believed to have written a lot of the Old Testament there, especially at the beginning. We could go on and on and on, but we won't because that's through two pages of my notes already. So I trust that's enough for you to see that Moses is a significant and incredibly important person in history and especially the history of God's people. Moses <clears throat> was a big deal. And like I said, as big of a deal as he is to us now, and we can see that, it was even more so for the early Jews. In fact, if you read through the New Testament you'll see just how much Moses was favored. He's often referred to there. In fact, I want to read a section of scripture that talks about Moses from Hebrews this morning, and that's what we're going to talk about. It's going to talk about the greatness of Moses. So Hebrews uh, chapter 3, I'm going to read the first six verses here. Hebrews 3, 1 to 6, it says this. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God's house, but God is the builder of everything. 
Moses was faithful as servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are, in, we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. You can see from this passage, I hope, I trust, just uh, how great Moses is. The, the, the things it says about Moses are things we probably all hope are said about us after we're gone and people are remembering us. So he, he was a faithful servant in God's house. He bore witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. He was a great man, a phenomenal servant of God. Maybe like we talked about last week, I think it's probably clear that Moses listened and followed God. But it only takes a very quick look at the passage like we just did to see that, that Moses is being used here as a point of contrast. The whole passage here is saying, you know how great Moses is, right? You, you understand how great he is. Don't you see how great he is? But Jesus is even greater. It's not about, as some people might like to read it, uh, saying Moses isn't as great as you thought he was, huh? It's not saying, yeah, maybe he's not all cracked up as we remember him to be. Maybe he's not as good. Maybe uh, we need to put him down a few notches. No, that's not what this is saying. Don't mishear. Don't misread. This is not about putting Moses down. It's about raising Jesus up. And so they use Moses as this point of contrast because he is the hero of all heroes at this point. And so you start with the great, the big, the important, the significant, and then it says, but Jesus is even greater. Really, that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. If you read through it, it's about raising Jesus up. It's about getting a proper perspective of who Jesus is, how Jesus is greater. If you flip back uh, a few pages, I'll do it for you. It'll be up on the screen and read the very beginning of Hebrews, starting at chapter 1, verse 1. This is what we read. So I'm going to read Hebrews 1, 1 to 9. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, so he became much superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs." For which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, a scepter of justice and a scepter of your kingdom." You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. I like this passage. Isn't that a good one? It says Jesus is greater than everything. That's, that's, that's a good summary of it. He is greater than everything. Anything that has been created, Jesus is greater than all of it. He is the epitome of all things. And yet, it says, we see his greatness displayed in surprising ways, not through domineering, authoritative power like that, but actually through sacrificial love. Hebrews 2.9, just the next chapter says, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and in honor. Why? Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
Jesus is superior to all creation. He is greater than everything, but he doesn't use his greatness in domineering ways, yet in sacrificial love he gives himself up for us. Though Jesus is greater, he willingly becomes less. Why? So that we can be the recipients of his grace. We can stand in the very presence of God. Jesus became less, and in doing so, showed that he was far greater. He was greater even than sin and death, which brings us back now to chapter 3. That was a lot of backtracking, but we're back to where we began. In chapter 3, verse 1, I already read it, but it says this, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. I want to focus in on those two titles that uh, are highlighted there. It says, Jesus is our apostle and our high priest. Out of the many titles, like Moses, Jesus held many titles. Out of the many titles that Jesus holds, the author of Hebrews chose to highlight these two here. And I don't think that was random. In fact, I think it was rather intentional. And I'll share why in just a minute. you got to hang on for that. Uh, First, though, I want to take a moment just to define these titles so that we're all on the same page. Is everyone good with that? Someone say yes. Make me feel good. Okay. All right, let's define these. So we get the word apostle. It says Jesus is our apostle. What does apostle mean? It comes from the Greek apostello, which means sent or sent with a purpose. It was widely used in this time as a title to mean a personal messenger who, who is commissioned to transmit a message or otherwise carry out an instruction of the one who sent, which is a really wordy way of saying it. So let me try to make that a little more clear. In the Bible, when we see this word apostle, almost always it means someone who speaks or acts on behalf of God. In the Bible, when we see the word apostle, let's make this simple, it almost always means someone who speaks or acts on behalf of God. An apostle is someone who is sent by God to bring a specific message or carry out a specific action. Everyone got that? Someone say yes. Okay, thank you. The other title then we see is high priest. The high priest, uh, if you read through the Old Testament and temples, you see he held many responsibilities. But I think we can fairly summarize the different roles the high priest held like this. They are intercessors between the people and God. A high priest is someone who mediates, goes between the people and God. They are intercessors. They are mediators. Think perhaps of their most significant role. Uh, Once a year, they would go into a very special part of the temple. It's called the Holy of Holies. And they would sprinkle the blood sacrifice there to atone or make amends for the sins of the people. They're interceding between the people and God. This was a large part of their responsibilities. Not only were they just general interceders, but a large part was they were performing duties to atone for sins. To atone for the sins of the people and nation. So let me make sure we're clear before we move on. An apostle, someone who is sent by God to bring a specific message or carry out a specific action. Yep, everyone's good. High priest, someone who intercedes or goes between the people and God, especially concerning atonement for sins. Everyone good? You're with me? All right, then why these two titles? Why out of the many possible titles, why these two? Why not the others? And I think the author of Hebrews chose to talk about these two titles here in chapter 3, Uh, specifically knowing that he was about to move on and use this great hero, the giant of the faith, Moses, to contrast the greatness of Jesus. I think he chose these two titles very specifically because Moses was a great apostle. 
He, he, he is often referred to in other places as the great prophet or even sometimes as the first prophet. And of course, what is a prophet? We've talked about this. A prophet is someone who speaks on behalf of God. So we can see the apostle and prophet are interchangeable in this sense. An apostle is someone who speaks or acts on behalf of God. A, po- a prophet is someone who speaks or acts on behalf of God. And we see that Moses is referred to as the great or as the first prophet. And so we see that Moses was a great Apostle, let me give you some examples. Here's Numbers chapter 12, verses 6 to 8. It says, When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this, this, listen, this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face. Clearly, and not in riddles, he sees the form of the Lord. This is the big deal. Among the other prophets, it says, Moses is favored. To all the other prophets, God has to speak to them in dreams and visions, but not so with Moses. God could speak to him clearly. Uh, He didn't have to veil himself. It says God could show his presence to Moses, which is a big deal, by the way. In the Old Testament, you read through it. People who were in the presence of the Lord, they died. That's why when people get into the presence of the Lord, they're afraid. God is so holy. I'm so sinful. You see a lot of Fear, and we, we, we come on this side of it covered by the blood of Jesus and say, why are you so afraid? We don't have that understanding. But go like read the, the, the Isaiah's vision where he's in the presence of the Lord. He says, woe is me. I'm unclean. Don't, don't, don't keep me here. I'm going to die if I stay here. People have this fear. So the fact that Moses, we are told, God can reveal himself clearly, not through visions, not through a veil, not through dreams, but speak to him face to face as a friend. This is a big deal. You have to understand Moses was a great apostle. He was a great prophet. God could show his presence to Moses uh, as he did in the burning bush. God should show his presence to Moses as he did up on Mount Sinai. Listen to this verse, by the way. This is from Exodus thirty-three, eleven. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. You got to understand, Moses was the prophet of all prophets. He was trusted and commissioned by God to do and say many marvelous things. And in case you're missing the point, if I haven't made it so clear just yet, there's a great passage from Deuteronomy 34. This is a reflection on Moses. He had just died in this passage. And then this is what it said right after he died. Deuteronomy 34, 10 to 12. If you miss the point, you won't miss it now. It says, Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all of those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials in the whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. Are, am I making this clear? Moses was a big deal. Moses was the hero of all heroes. He spoke and did things on behalf of God that no one ever else did, no one compared to. He was a great apostle. But more than just being a great apostle, Moses was a great high priest. Now, before you get mad at me and say, well, Moses wasn't the high priest. That was Aaron. What are you saying? Yes, Moses never officially held the title as high priest. Uh, He never technically had that title. His brother Aaron had it. And though, in fact, Moses is the one who commissioned Aaron on behalf of God to be high priest. But that's beyond the point. The point here is that while Moses never officially held the title of high priest, he certainly performed the role. He certainly partook in the main part of the job. He was an intercessor, a mediator between the people and God. Moses often did this. He often mediated between the people and God. I'll give two quick examples and then we'll move on. So the first one here from Deuteronomy 5, 23, 27. 
It says, when you heard the voice out of the darkness, while the mountain was ablaze with fire, all the leaders of your tribes and your elders came to me. And you said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a person, that's Moses, by the way, can live even if God speaks with them. But now why should we die? They're not even in his presence. They're afraid of it. The great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer. For what mortal has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of fire as we have and survived? No, instead they say, you, go near. Listen to all that the Lord our God says. Then you come back and tell us what the Lord God says. We will listen and obey. The people there, this is the Israelites, are at the Mount, base of Mount Sinai, and God is revealing himself to Moses in all these miraculous ways. We, we've talked about it in other times. You know, there's lightning, there's thunder, there's fire, the earth is shaking. God is revealing himself to Moses, and the people are down. They're not even up there with them. They're down on the ground. They're looking at all this from afar, seeing it happen, and they're saying, you know what, that's really cool, Moses. That's so awesome, but how about you just go? We'll, we'll stay here. You You go. You can be our representative. You, you, you can bring our needs to God and you listen to what he has to say and come back and tell us what he has to say. It's just too much for us. Why don't you represent us and we will come back. They wanted Moses to be their intercessor, their mediator. One more example, Numbers 14, 11 to 20. I'm not going to read all this one. You can go and read it, but I'll start at the beginning and catch up at the end. Uh, so Numbers 11 begins this way. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me? In spite of all the signs I have performed among them, I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them. So in the previous verses, this is Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, and they're already breaking the main tenets of the covenant that they had just agreed to with God. The Israelites were fickle people. And Moses has to go back up to the mountain, and God is getting mad at them. He's saying, you know what, I'll just destroy them. And Moses, what we see in the, the, the part that I'm not going to read, he's, he's pleading with God, you know what, don't do it. Have mercy, show mercy, show the love and kindness, the, the characters of yourself that you revealed to me. And he's pleading with them. He's mediating, he's intercessing on their behalf, trying to grant forgiveness for their sins. And then down at the end of the passage, verses 19 and 20, it says, in accordance with your great love, this is Moses speaking to God, in accordance with your great love, forgive the sin of the people, just as you have pardoned them from the time they left Egypt to now. And the Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you have asked. So we see Moses then interceding on behalf of Israel. He sought for the forgiveness for their sins, just like a high priest does. You see, Moses, who was the prophet of all prophets, he was a great apostle, and he was a great high priest. Which brings us back to our passage in Hebrews. Everything we've just read, everything we've talked about, Moses, uh, how Moses was this great apostle and high priest, that Hebrew passage is attesting to. This is what I want to make sure you get clear. Remember, it says Moses was a great servant. The Hebrews passage is not pushing Moses down at all. It's saying, do you see how awesome he is? Look how great he is. It says Moses was a great servant. He was the servant of all servants. He was the most faithful in all of God's house. But, and this is the entire point of the passage and message today, but as great as Moses was, Jesus is greater. Verse 3 from that Hebrews 3 passage says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Verse 5 and 6 of the Hebrews 3 says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, but Christ, Jesus, is faithful as the Son over God's house. See, Moses, he was a great apostle. I hope you understand that. But Jesus, he was a greater apostle. Jesus is the greater apostle. Like, like Moses, Jesus was sent. 
with a specific message and a specific purpose, acting as an apostle. Unlike Moses, though, Moses who brought forth the message from God, Jesus was just that. Jesus was the word of God. And we, of course, talked about this before. And John, John writes it like this. In the beginning was the word, not a little word, the capital W word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. It goes on to talk about how the capital W word created all things. He is the builder of the house, as the Hebrew passage says. Not just a faithful servant in the house like Moses. He's the builder he is the word of God. Jesus doesn't just bring us a word from God. Jesus is the very word of God. It's a reminder that unlike Moses, who was a servant in God's house, Jesus is the builder. Jesus is God. And he came as a great apostle with a specific message and a specific person. The, the specific message Jesus came with can be summed up uh, very simply. Ready? God loves you. The specific message he came with can be summed up. God loves you. And we look at what was his specific purpose. We can see that his specific purpose was to show just how deep this truth of God loving you was. And that carries, he carries out his purpose as our high priest. Jesus is our high priest. He is our intercessor. Romans 8.34 says it this way. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus is our interceder, just as the high priest would offer blood sacrifices uh, for the forgiveness of sin for the nations. Jesus, of course, we know this, offered the ultimate blood sacrifice, his own life. He offered it on behalf of all people. Jesus subjected himself to the very punishment we deserved. Why? So that we could be brought into the very presence of God. You see, Jesus interceded for us on the cross. He took our place. Hebrews 2.17, it says it this way. For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. See, Moses was a great high priest. Don't ever doubt that. Moses was a great high priest, interceding and mediating between the people and God. But Jesus is the greater high priest, as he once and for all took our place and reconciled us to God. And even now, we see, is interceding on our behalf. We can see then through these examples, I hope you can see, why Moses is chosen as this point of contrast, as this comparison. It's so that we see the vast greatness of Christ. We could have picked other people, but Moses was the hero of all heroes, and it's not about, let's say, Moses is not that important. No, it's saying Moses is this important. You got it right, but Jesus, Jesus is greater. Perhaps even more so than what we've already looked at, there's one more passage I want to look at, and this, to me, is the most poignant picture of Jesus being the greater Moses. There's a story from Exodus 17, uh, verses 8 to 13. I'm going to read it for you. Says the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went on top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever his hands grew tired, oh, yeah, when his hands grew tired, 
as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning, but I'm, I'm caught back up. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. And so Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. It's an incredible story, eh? Isn't that amazing? It says, as long as Moses, Moses, this great apostle, Moses, this great high priest, as long as he held his hands up, the Israelites found victory. Moses was great. He was powerful, but he was only human. And so, alas, his arms grow tired. They start falling. They go to great effort and length, literally having people hold his hands up for him to ensure that the Israelites can find victory. And, you know, no matter how much Moses might have wished or willed it, he could not keep his arms outstretched indefinitely. They, they barely hung on long enough for that one battle. But Jesus, Jesus, our great apostle, Jesus, the great high priest, Jesus, the one who is greater than Moses, more worthy of honor than Moses, Jesus stretched out his arms for you and me. And because he did, we can receive the victory of his outstretched arms. You know, in English, we're, we're really limited. I, I'm by no means a language expert here. I, I did have to take some language courses in my, my degree. Uh, particularly, I took Greek so I could better read through the New Testament, and I loved it. I loved learning about language. I took uh, four semesters, so two full years of, of Greek lessons, um, and it was, it was great. It was hard. It was difficult, but it was great, and I, I learned a lot about language in general through this, mostly because English is not a great language. It's hard. It's complicated. Our rules don't make sense, and we, we have very limited ways of using words, and other languages are not all like that, and particularly in Greek, uh, there are a lot of different tenses. You know what I mean by tense? So in English, we have past tense. Something has happened. We have present tense. Something is happening. Future tense. Something will happen. But in other languages, they're not, they're not stuck into those three options. They have many different options. And in particular, in Greek, I'm remembering there is one tense. It's called the perfect tense. And what the perfect tense is, it means there is a past action that has continual results. The perfect tense is something has happened in the past, but the effects of it are ongoing. When we read about Moses then in that battle, stretching out his hands, we can understand it. That's past tense. That's happened. That action's done. That battle is done. The effects of the action have ceased. But when we read about Jesus stretching out his hands, that's perfect. Yeah, the action happened. It happened in the past. His arms are no longer stretched like that currently in this present time in history. But the effects of it are ongoing. They're continual. We're still experiencing the benefit of that one action. The original action is long and done, but we still experience the ongoing results of it. And so as the Israelites found victory when Moses held out his hands, we too can find victory in our battles. Why? Because Jesus perfectly stretched out his arms for us. No longer must we be enslaved by sin. No longer does death have to have the victory. Because Jesus stretched his arms, we can know that no matter what battle we're facing, it belongs to the Lord. Let me pray for us. Gracious God and Father, we are so, so, so full of joy and praise that we can come into your presence with no fear because we are covered by the blood of your Son. Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done, for making yourself lower so that we could see just how great you really are. Thank you for stretching your arms out for us. 
that that action might have echoes all the way through eternity. And that through it, we can receive your gift of love and grace, of encouragement, of kindness. And so, Lord, then we pray. We pray now as we move into a moment of listening, would you speak your word to us? Lord, if there's something in our life that needs correcting, would you lovingly correct it? If we need encouragement, would you give us that encouragement? Whatever you have to say, Lord, may we have ears to hear. May we be uh, a faithful servant like Moses was and say, Lord, your servant is here in your house, and I'm listening. So then we pray then, Lord, that you would speak to us so clearly as we take this moment of time and listen. We pray that you'll just uh, quiet everything else, anything that is not of you in this moment, even our own inner thoughts. Would you just quiet them so that we can take this moment and focus on you? So we pray this then through the power and the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So we're going to do just that uh, at the end of every service we do. We take time. We want to give you opportunity not to just hear a message and leave, but to, to take time to make sure that God is speaking to you, that you are not, it's not that God might not be speaking, it's that you might not be listening. So I want to give you that opportunity to listen. We call it take two. We, we do two minutes and we give you two questions that we want you to ask God, not just a reflection, okay? It's good. It's good to reflect on the message and, and mull it over, and that's good, and God can speak to you that way too. But this, in this moment, is not just about reflecting on the message. It's about asking God questions with the expectation that he has something specific to say to you. So we want you to ask these two questions. You say, God, what is one thing you're saying to me? Before I leave here this morning, what is one thing you want to make sure I know deep in my heart is from you? And we always move to question two, which says, now that you've spoken to me, now that I've heard from you, I got that one thing. What do you want me to do about it? How do you want me to live it out this week? How do you want me to put it into action? What steps of obedience are you asking me to take? So I want to give you two minutes to ask these two questions, and then we'll come back, and I'll close our service. So uh, we'll start that timer for you right about now.
Well, I want to thank you so much for taking your time to join us this week. I trust and pray God has spoken to you and revealed himself to you in ways that you can put into action this week. I pray you know his great love for you. Why don't you stand as I read the benediction and then we'll be dismissed. So we pray then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. I pray you go with that peace this week. Have a great week. Thanks for joining.